Imagine that you decide to grow a garden. And you're thinking, has he lost his mind? That's the way he started last week's message. You do all the extensive preparation. You plant seeds. And after a while, you see sprouts coming up out of the ground. As they begin to grow taller and bigger and, uh, and you inspect them, you recognize that not only do you have vegetables, but you also have weeds. And you didn't plant any weeds. You planted vegetables. So why are there weeds in your garden? Well, it's not rocket science. It's gardening. So I can give you the answer. <laughs> the answer is, there's weed seeds somehow got into that soil. Vegetables are growing as a result of seeds that somehow ended up in your garden, and weeds that are growing are a result of weed seeds that ended up in your, your garden. The fact that they are present will probably largely be your doing, because you planted the vegetable seeds, right? But not totally. Um... It's, I'm, so if you were planting a garden, I'm pretty sure, as I look around, I think everybody pretty intelligent, none of you would intentionally plant weed seeds, right? None of you would think, oh, you know, I'm not going to have enough work to do with this garden, so I'm going to intentionally plant some weeds in here so that I have to take the weeds out. None of us would do that. So you didn't intentionally put the weeds in your garden. The fact that they are there is because somehow they landed in there, not by your doing. It could have been the wind blew weed seeds into your garden from someplace else. Birds may have dropped them um, in there. It could have been your fault. I remember one time, and, and let me just as a caveat, give all the credit for everything I'm going to talk about with our, our garden to Sheila. Because I grew up out in the country where we had like an acre garden and I decided when I got to be an adult, I didn't need to do that anymore. But she likes to do it. She was a city girl, so she likes the gardening. And so she has a couple little gardens out there. And I remember one time we took compost that we had been gathering and we put it in our garden. And in that compost were grass clippings. And so when the garden began to grow, there was a whole lot of grass. It was our fault because we put compost in there. We unintentionally planted seeds of something that we didn't want in there. So we might be the culprit of those weeds in our garden. But there are also vegetables. Most of the vegetables that you have are intentional, but may not be totally this year, the bumper crop out of Sheila's garden were pole beans. What's interesting is she didn't plant any pole beans. I, and I, I said, are you sure you didn't plant? I mean, unbelievable crop of pole beans. And I said, are you sure you didn't plant pole beans instead of regular beans? She said, no. The place where I planted regular beans was in a different part of the garden. These just grew from last year, from compost, from who knows. But we got all kinds of pole beans. And amazingly, it's something I can eat these days. And so it wasn't our doing. 
They were just there. So you have a garden that has what vegetables and weeds in it purely as a consequence of somehow seeds ending up in that garden. Some of it was your doing, some of it was not your doing. But the reason that it's there is because somebody put it there. Somehow it got there. We're looking at David's disaster. If you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12. We've been looking at David's disaster, and David didn't realize the weeds that he was planting when he chose to do what God didn't want him to do, when he was just doing what feels good. Deliberate choices, deliberate consequences. And so the point today is really a biblical understanding as a biblical understanding of consequences and what it means to deal with the consequences that we have in our lives. What does it look like from a biblical standpoint? Now, I have a confession and an apology as we begin this message. The confession is that in my preparation during this week, I zeroed in on almost all negative consequences. And as I was preparing this morning, and I was praying and working on the message, it just seemed like God showed me that <clears throat> that's, not, that's not the way we need to look at it. It's not just the negative, it's the positive. The principle of consequences of sowing and reaping is that you reap what you sow. But our natural inclination at times is to look at that as a negative. Because we look at consequences as something bad usually. And so my confession is that I, was, I should have done that. Because it's an opportunity as well. Let's talk about it. The first thing that we've seen in David's disaster is compromise. That he chose to sin instead of obey God. Instead of being where he was supposed to be, out on the battlefield, he stayed back home. And while he was at home, because he wasn't in the presence of God, he wasn't seeking to follow God, he got bored and he was vulnerable. And as a result, he's walking around his roof, he sees Bathsheba bathing on her, her roof. Instead of turning away, he continues to look. Instead of, and instead of turning away, he asks who she is and sends for her. He commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up. When, he can't, when that's not successful, he ends up murdering her husband, Uriah and then taking her as his wife. He compromised. That was his disaster. He was planting weeds that he didn't even realize. The next thing we saw was confrontation in this story. So after all of that happened, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David with the enormity and the severity of his sin. In a very masterful way, he presented this in the picture of sheep. David, when, he was, when Nathan told him, you are the man, confessed of his sin. But we said last week, before we go to looking at that confession and what that looks like and how we need to follow that pattern, we need to, we need to go according to the Bible's picture of the story and talk about consequences. Because um, Nathan told David, even before he confessed, that there were going to be consequences, that there are lifetime consequences 
that he would pay for this grievous act of disobedience and destruction that he's left in his wake. And so last week we started talking about consequences. And we, um, and we zeroed in on the reality that Jesus took the punishment of our sin. The consequence for our sin should have been death. But instead, Jesus took the consequence for our sin, took our punishment of sin. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, if you want to look at that verse, we see God's mercy and grace where Nathan, um, in verse 13, 2 Samuel 12, Nathan said, or David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the confession we'll talk about later. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. And so he forgives him of his sin, not because he deserved it, purely mercy and grace of God. And we talked about how we experience that as well. Psalm 103, verse 10, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And that brings us to today. And this is important. There is a mistaken understanding in Christianity that with God's forgiveness comes the canceling of the consequences of sin. And that's a part of what you hear in the prosperity gospel. If you just turn to God, then he removes all of that, and he removes all the consequences of your choices, and he gives you what you want, and, and, and everything should go well, and if things aren't going completely well, then there's still sin in your life somewhere. David's disaster is a warning and a reality check that even though our sins are forgiven, there are consequences to pay. It's a warning to us and a challenge to us to say, choose to walk in step with the Holy Spirit because when you are not walking in step with the Holy Spirit, when you're making any choice that is not of God, there are consequences to pay. Sometimes, on the rare occasion, God will cancel them out. Rarely. Every once in a while. For His purposes, for His glory. But by and large, forgiveness of sin does not mean we don't experience the consequences of our sin. And so we want, that's what we want to talk about. We want to zero in on that whole idea of sowing and reaping. In your, in your outline, I put the check mark, we suffer the consequences of our sin and stupidity. Amen. And I need you to add, because I was not really zeroing in on the whole picture, and our wise choices. We, re, we, we, and we, we suffer the consequences of our sin and stupidity. We, we enjoy, we reap, we benefit by the, the wise choices that we make. And so it's, it's both in. Alistair Begg, um, quoting Alec Moyer, I was listening to one of his podcasts this week, made this statement. Repentance, that is turning away from, so turning away from your sin. Repentance is doing 180 degree. Walking this way, towards sin, away from God. Repentance is turning around, turning my back on sin, walking to God. He says, repentance is like fetching back a stone one has just thrown into a pool. The stone can be fetched back, but the ripples are spreading. When we choose to disobey God, we can be forgiven. But the ripples of those choices continue on. Forgiveness does not eliminate the consequences of our sin. 
And so we need to embrace the reality and stop living with false belief that we can do whatever we want and God will forgive me so it will be okay. And there, there's this idea in Christianity that says, you know, we, we, we can't help it. We just sin every day. We, we're imperfect and we do all these things and, and it's okay because God forgives us and he cancels it out and, and we don't have to worry about it. No. We reap the consequences of our sins, of our actions. We, the consequences are there. And God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk in step with him because he wants us to make wise choices because he loves it as a, a loving Heavenly Father to pour out those uh, and watch us enjoy the good consequences, the good results, the good benefits of making choices to walk in step with him. He loves it when we do that. So let's go back and look at um, this, whole, this principle in this story of David. 2 Samuel chapter 12. First, we see the declaration and conviction of sin. And I want you to note especially that the sin is against God. Even though it, it, uh, it harms Bathsheba, it kills Uriah, it brings dishonor on the kingdom of God, it, the sin is against God. It is bringing dishonor to him. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. After David got all all upset because of the, this picture of sin. You can go back in past weeks and, and we dealt deeply with that. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I, I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? When we sin, we bring dishonor to God in the earthly realm and in the heavenly realm. That's why this was so disastrous. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And so Nathan comes as God's conviction does. God loves us so much that he points out our sin. When we turn to him and say, God, speak to me. And he, he puts his thumb on that which we are doing wrong because he... he he wants us to be forgiven, but he also wants us to turn around. And so there's declaration and conviction of sin against God. When we sin, it is not just breaking a rule. And I want you to hear this. You might want to write this down. When we sin, when we disobey God, it is not just breaking a rule. It is breaking your father's heart. And it is bring, bringing dishonor to your heavenly father, both in this earthly realm and among the spiritual unseen beings. So God is dishonored because Satan is able to point down and, look, and say, look, they don't really love you. Look, they don't really follow you. And so sin is not just serious because of the consequence. It's serious because we are turning our back on God. We are dishonoring God. It is blaspheming. The flip side of being, when we talk a lot about this, being salt and light and the aroma of God, and in learning community, we've talked about being a kingdom of priests that, that reveal, that, that bring a mediation, that bring God's honor and glory to him through 
people seeing Christ. And all of that is true. But when we don't obey him, we do exactly the opposite. That's the flip side. Because being salt and light in the realm of God points to God and says, this is how great God is. This is what God does. But when we disobey him, it says, look, God really isn't anything. God, you don't really honor God. You don't really love God. Look, he's really nothing. He's really not anything. The next bullet point is the declaration of lifelong consequences. Nathan comes to him and says, you're forgiven, but you are going to experience things that you can't even imagine yet. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 10. He says, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. First lifelong consequence, your kingdom will never be at peace. From this point on, your kingdom will never be at peace. What we see in the incident with Bathsheba is the glory days of David's kingdom, the glory days of Israel in that whole region come to a, a, a crashing halt because of David's sin. The problem is he's despised God. He has turned his back on God. And so be, you sh- the sword shall never depart from your house. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Not only will the sword not depart, not only will there no longer be peace, but his own children, his own sons will be the source of the conflict. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. There's a whole lot to unpack that that we don't have time for today, but it is one of his sons that chases David out of Jerusalem, out of the palace, comes in and the habit of kings who would usurp and, and take over for a king, you know, if, if they, they defeated a king and, and took over his palace, they would take the concubines of the former king as a, as a way to say, I am truly in charge. And that's what his son, his own son does. For you did it, in, it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So notice the consequences. He gives him the consequences even before he confesses of his sin. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. Notice you despise the Lord and, not, and you've scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. So Bathsheba is pregnant with, their, with a son and, and God says this child cannot live. I cannot allow this child to live because you have brought such dishonor to me. I have to show to everyone I'm the one in charge. I am God. I am God Almighty. The child went to heaven. The child wasn't the problem. But it brought incredible grief to David, incredible grief to Bathsheba. Then Nathan went out of his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. And so in just a few short verses, Nathan begins to indicate the, what, the story that will unfold in the following chapters of 2 Samuel. When his house just, it's just complete disarray. For the rest of his life, it's a mess. It's a mess. 
Sin has far-reaching consequences. We reap what is sowed. So let's talk about the biblical principle of consequences. For good, I did get this right once, for good and for bad. <laughs> so you don't have to add it there. Your life today is a result of choices made in the past. Your life in the future will be a result of choices made in the present. If you stay up late for whatever reason, it leads to you being tired the next day, which means you are not at your best with God, which leads to vulnerability, which leads to things that are bad. Now, if you go, if you drop to your knees in the morning, and I, this is, I'm telling you, this is personal. <laughs> Uh, testimony. There are times when I just stay up doing things that I, I should go to bed when I know that I have to get up early the next morning. But here's what I've discovered is when I get up the next morning, I'm tired. And not only am I tired, because I'm tired, I'm more vulnerable. And so even if I drop to my knees and say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have stayed up that late. I should have gone to bed. I wasn't, that's not honoring to you. Does he forgive me? Oh, that wasn't very enthusiastic. <laughs> Does he forgive me? Yes. Does he take away my tiredness? No. Rarely. Maybe on a Sunday morning, just for your benefit, not for mine. And I get up here and he gives me extra energy so that I can be at my best for you. It has nothing to do with me. He just takes mercy on you. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm exhausted. And the rest of the day, I'm just exhausted. That's reaping what we sow. That's the law of consequences. Here it is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, which is not just about salvation. This is about this whole uh, principle. We reap what we sow. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9 says, Do not be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't pretend. Don't, don't lie to yourself. God is not mocked. He has put certain principles in place that are not superseded except by him on occasion. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The law of sowing and reaping, consequences, and so if, if we're sowing to the flesh and we're doing what we want to do, we will reap that. If we're sowing to the Spirit, if we're following God and doing everything that we can, we will reap the benefits of that. It's something that He has put into place. Dwight L. Moody, a preacher from probably 150 years ago, said, if a man gets drunk and goes out and breaks his leg so that he must be, so it must be amputated, God will forgive him if he asks it, but he will have to hop around on one leg the rest of his life. That's the consequences. And chances are, unless on the rare occasion that God decides for his purposes it's best, that leg will never grow back. We reap what we sow. Numbers 32, 23. God through Moses was giving a challenge to certain ones of the tribes and, 
And he said this, but if you do not do so, if you do not obey what we just talked about, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure, you, did you ever wonder where that came from? You thought your mother just said that all the time, didn't you? That's <laughs> actually from the Bible. You can be sure your sin will find you out. And he's, it's not a threat. It's just saying, here's what's going to happen. You will reap what you sow. If you disobey, you will reap the consequences of that disobedience. Every choice we make, small and large, has consequences. It either moves us toward God or it moves us away from God. It, move, moving away from God, we reap the negative. If we, if we move toward God, then we reap the positive. I remember when I, I started my ministry in Nanticlo, Pennsylvania, over around Johnstown. 24-year-old kid, wet behind the ears. This little church. And I, and I began, as I, I went to that church, I began to talk to some of the people there and, and who had young adult kids that were about my age. And um, I would ask about them, and, and they weren't following God. They weren't attending worship anywhere. And I heard this more than once. You know, when you're young like that, you just have to sow your wild oats, and then you'll come back. And even back then, when I wasn't very smart, and I didn't have a lot of life experience under my belt, I thought, that can't be right. You don't, it, it, it's not built into the Christian life that we have to sow our wild oats and then come back to God. Right? Because you sow wild oats, and what, what's the crop? Very bad wild oats, right? Wild oats, I don't know what wild oats taste like. I don't even know what they are. But they're not good, right? They will... One of Satan's schemes is to convince us that every small choice doesn't matter. That small choices don't matter. But we reap what we sow. So here's some implications and applications for us as Christ followers. First of all, focus on God's forgiveness and reconciliation. Focus on God's forgiveness and reconciliation. What I mean by that is the greatest treasure that we can ever experience in this life and the next is the intimate relationship that God offers with himself. So regardless of what sins you've committed and what consequences you're paying, you can have an intimate relationship with God that satisfies. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what kind of consequences you're paying for. Randy and Terry have done prison ministry, and there are people in prison that, are, that will never get out. There are people in prison who will die because they've been convicted of a horrible crime. And they, they come, and some of them find Jesus, and they discover what they were always looking for. And if they've really discovered Jesus, they will say, I don't deserve to get out. And I'm willing to serve God in here as long as I live. Because I know this is my greatest treasure is an intimate relationship with Him. And so focus on that. Don't focus on the consequences. Don't focus on the bad choices that you've made in your life. And look at me. Every one of us have made bad choices. Right? No matter who you look at, no matter how good... Billy Graham made bad choices. Everybody makes bad choices. God does not condemn you. 
Here's what's interesting is we never hear God say anything about this incident with Bathsheba ever again. Ever. Why? Because God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That means he he remembers them no more. He chooses to never ever bring back. So he's not going to come back and condemn. But the consequences that we pay for are going to be there. The prodigal son, when he came back, he said, I'll just be a servant. I'll just be a servant. And here's what David said in in Psalm 84.10. A day in your courts, in other words, in your presence, because the manifest presence of God was in in the tabernacle. It was in the Holy of Holies. A day in your courts, a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked who have everything that they would want in this life. And so when you start getting discouraged about the the choices that you made and the consequences that you've experienced, understand this, God gives you the greatest gift of all. God gives you the greatest thing of all in, in this intimate relationship with God and nothing can steal that from you, no matter what you're experiencing. Accept the reality of consequences, both good and bad. Accept the reality of consequences. Don't allow the devil to think, cause you to think it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, this is no big deal. I can watch this. I can do this. I can read this. I cannot do that. It doesn't matter if I... Here's a, here's a good example. We're, we're coming up on a week of fasting and praying. There are people in this congregation who have a depth of relationship with God and intimacy with God as a result of years of choosing to participate in weeks of fasting and praying and, and, and build on that that they would not have any other way. Does it matter? Does it matter if we fast and pray? You don't have to, but there are consequences. There are benefits when you do. And when, and, and, well, don't get me on that. Accept the reality and take responsibility for that. For your own sin and stupidity, and also for your wise choices. So accept the reality of this law of reaping and sowing, of this reality of consequences for your own stupidity, and, but also for your, your wise consequences. Um, so number, this, a number of years ago, Sheila decided she wanted a pear tree in our backyard. So we, we, we'd had a couple of pear trees and one of them died, and so she wanted another one. So we got one 10, 12 years ago. I don't remember. It's been a long time. We planted it. It grew up. And basically, that's all we've ever done. Sheila protects it from the deer, you know, so they don't destroy it. Other than that, not much. And, every, and, and some years, there's nothing. Some years, there's these small little pears, and, you know, a number of This year, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It, it was like, I, I, I don't even have words to describe it. There's a thousand pears on this pear tree. And they're big. And I, we brought some to the picture. Some of you ate some of these pears. You're going, this, these are like from the store. We had those as a consequence of planting the tree and God showing up. I don't know what he did this year. I don't know. We couldn't duplicate it if we wanted to. All I know is if we hadn't planted the tree, we would not have had pears. It's a consequence. It was, looking back on it, that was a wise choice. 
although there's no room in our freezer <laughs> because we've got tons of frozen pears. It's consequences. That's the reality of consequences. You plant a pear tree and you have the possibility of an incredible reaping of pears. Now, here, here's what's interesting is many people are surprised when the weeds show up in the garden as if they haven't made stupid choices. And there's a lot of complaining in our world today about, oh, I don't have any money, I don't have any job, I don't have, you know, you know and, and you look at their background and you go, well, it would have been nice if you got some kind of training so that you could be qualified for a job. If you had had some kind of financial plan so that you just didn't spend all your money and now you don't have any. It's, and, and people complain about that. We need to take responsibility for our own stupidity. Uh, because God doesn't usually change. People are surprised by their consequence. And it happens all the time. Now, here's, here's one politically. And I'm just not endorsing or condemning any political party or but when we withdrew from Afghanistan the Taliban made promises to the administration that they would continue to treat women well and they would follow through on their promises and 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 then we were then the people are surprised when they don't follow up on their promises and they don't treat women well and they're mean. And, and I'm, I'm amazed because I'll talk, well, they promised. <laughs> they've been promising for a hundred years and they've never delivered. So what kind of stupidity is there? And, and, but, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not about Afghanistan. I'm saying, why are we surprised? Why, why are we surprised? Because we're, we're either oblivious or we're just naive or, or something. Now, let's bring it home. Why are we surprised when I'm tired the next morning and I stay up too late? We need to take ownership for our own sinfulness and stupidity. The flip side of it is when I make wise choices, I can enjoy the consequences. I can enjoy it. I can enjoy it. Here's, uh, I think, the, the harder part of this law of consequences is that we have to come to grips with the reality that we are the recipients of other people's sin and stupidity as well as other people's wise choices. Add that. We, and I, I think that's hard because we think life should be fair. And it's not. I used to tell our kids all, that time, all the time, life's not fair. Life's not fair. What we are experiencing, what you are experiencing today is largely the consequences of choices that you and others have made yesterday, last month, last year, last decade. What you will experience tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and next decade and the rest of your life will be largely a consequence of the choices that you and others are making today. We are, we, we are in this together, right? We experience the consequence of others. I was born, I, I don't know if you knew this, I was born through no choice of my own. I had no say in it. Nobody asked me about it. It was my parents just made a decision 
And the next thing they knew, <laughs> there I was. I doubt that in that moment there was the discussion of, hey, let's, let's create a child. Let's, let's, let's somehow bring into this world a male child who will someday grow up to be tall, handsome, and pastor a church in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I don't think that ever crossed their mind. But that's what happened, right? The consequence, and through no fault of my own. Now, I'm the oldest of four. So I also have siblings through no choice of my own. <laughs> and instead of my parents looking at me and going, we got the best that there is, why should we try anymore? They looked, I, I think they looked at me and said, we can do better than that. <laughs> and so I have three brothers and sisters. Two sisters and a brother. And they wreaked havoc in my life growing up. Through no fault of my own. Of course, I was the perfect child. I always treated them right, so... <laughs> So we have to take responsibility for this reaping and sowing principle that we are reaping the consequences of our own choices and other people's choices. Here's how you deal with that. This next bullet point. Stop complaining and blaming to fully trust God. Stop complaining and stop blaming to fully trust God. My parents made the choice that brought me into the world. But overseeing that was the God who rules the universe. And he knew me before I was even conceived. Psalm 139 says, God knows us while we were still in the womb. He forms our days. He knows all about us. To complain about what I'm going through is to say, God, you don't know what you're doing. So whatever you're experiencing today, God has allowed it. God has either done it or allowed it. He could have prevented you from experiencing consequences from other people. He could have, but he chose not to. Our response needs to be to trust him. Did, as David was wandering around on, the, on, on his rooftop, he didn't have to give in to those choices. And I want you to look at me. Look at me. Whatever you're facing, you don't have to give in to any choice except what God leads. You don't have to give in to a negative choice. You don't ever have to do anything that is not obedience to God. You... And, and he will allow things in your life for whatever reason, for his reason. Our responsibility needs to be to trust. Stop blaming people. You know, we live in a culture where we're, you know, the people like to blame their parents. They like to blame their sibling. They like to blame other people around. They like to blame the government. They like to blame. Stop. Take responsibility for what you can and trust God. God is God. Which emphasizes the need for us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And we talk a lot about that. Just walking in step with Him. Stop complaining, stop blaming, 
and leverage the principle of sowing and reaping. So here's the takeaways. Here's some takeaways. We cannot change the past and its consequences. You made some dumb choices, okay? Turn to the person beside you and said, you made some dumb choices. We all have, right? We just need to, we need to own up to that. We need to recognize that we have and that we can't do anything. God's forgiven us and we're reaping the consequences. We're living with those consequences, but God promises to walk us through the consequences, whatever they are. So stop living in the past. Stop living with regret. <coughs> can't change it. Trust God to help you endure. Cooperate with what he has for you in the future. And then from this day forward, live to surrender, listen, and obey, and enjoy the consequences. Enjoy the benefits of that. Enjoy what God has in store for you. Small choices and large. Small choices and large. So forget about the past. Trust God for the present and for the future. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you have struggled with beating yourself up for choices that you've made in the past. Today, I encourage you to lay those at God's feet and pledge to never come back to them again. Leave your past, leave your choices in his hands. Nothing you can do about them. And, and to dwell on them is to not be paying attention to God. Satan wants to use them as a distraction. But as far as God's concerned, you're forgiven, you're clean. And he wants to take you as his love, dearly loved child into the future. So whatever those are, would, the, would you in this this moment between you and God, just set them at his feet. Ask forgiveness if you need to. But give them to him. Would you ask God to help you more fully grasp and live in this principle of sowing and reaping. To alert you to the small choices that you're making. To help you walk hand in hand with him. Moment by moment. And then would you commit to live a life surrendering, listening, and obeying in everything. Lord, I pray that you would help us to give ourselves more fully to you to see ourselves as the needy, dependent people that we are. 
and to see you as bigger. Help us to lean into you and to the principles that you have placed in our lives. We desperately need you, God. We, we don't have the wisdom that we need except that you give it to us. I pray this for each individual, each family. I pray this for us as a congregation. Guide us. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage